is so thick and thin hoops where ball is always life i'm your host karthik here with my co-host nithin what's good nithin what's up my dude listen this is we were talking about this pre pre-recording this is the last and only episode of the playoffs where we'll actually have all eight series alive it already looks like at least a few of these are trending towards a quick and and uh, painless sweep for a few teams yeah, I'm already ready to move on to the next round. Um, although there are a lot of interesting storylines left in play, especially given some of the injuries, which I'm sure we'll touch. It's been crazy. But there have been some surprises in the first round, so I can't say that, you know, although some series are less interesting than we might have imagined, I can't say it's a total disappointment because um, there have been some twists and turns so far. Well, it's funny because as we were, literally in the last 10 seconds, as I was like, yeah, it's all over, blah, 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 I thought about... Two years ago in the bubble, how me and you were like, get us Lakers Clippers. Like, this is dumb. Why are we continuing this Clippers Nuggets charade and this Lakers Rockets charade? Like, it's all pointless. Let's get to the show. And that's when they were up 3-1, looking dominant. And the rest is, as they say, history. So maybe one of these series kind of surprises surprises us in that way. There's only one series that's at 3-0, which is Sixers uh, Raptors. But... Heat Hawks are 2-0. You know, the Warriors are up 2-0 and up 10 at half. So at the time of recording and, you know, by the time people listen to this, obviously that game will be decided. But at this current moment, it's, you know, it's halftime in that game. And and uh, everything else is is either tied or 2-0. Celtics Nets, of course, they play, they play tomorrow. That one's been a bit of a surprise. But what we thought we would do, because this, like I said, is the only chance for us to actively talk about all eight series as they're happening, um, is do a bit of a draft, right? And so we're going to go through and actually draft, we'll alternate picks on which series has stood out to be the most exciting thus far. Um, I'll go first and then you go second. But when I pick, you tell me kind of what uh, ranking that series had on your list and I'll do the same. And we're talking about how exciting it's been so far and how exciting we think it's yes. going to continue yes, to be? Yes, correct. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's kind of like the overall picture because some are God. have taken a turn, let's say, since since the start of the playoffs, uh, which is crazy because it's only been two games. Before we dive in, any, um, you know, last week, and I feel like we do this every year too, where we're like, this is the greatest first round ever. So we did that whole spiel last week uh, as we were doing the preview. Any overall thoughts or reactions? Like, have you enjoyed, uh, you know, the first six, seven days of playoff action? Do you feel like it's lived up to the hype? Has it lived up to the hype? I don't know. But what I have really enjoyed is a lot of the good teams have vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. um, and look a little bit vulnerable. And so what started out with, you know, a lot of us saying Phoenix cakewalk or maybe Milwaukee even to a certain extent or maybe Brooklyn. All these teams have their challenges, and it's even more wide open than I thought entering the postseason. So, if that makes any sense. So, totally. uh, it, while the, some of the series, like you said, there are a couple that are going to go 3 0, it, it hasn't been the most in. Like, I think there have been first rounds in previous years that were like all the series were kind of nodded across the board, um, except for like one or two. We don't have that this year, but at the same time, it still feels wide open, which is awesome. No one looks extremely dominant, except maybe the Warriors yeah, so far. Well, but even against Denver, it's hard to gauge. Exactly. And I actually was going back and listening to our pod last week, and I really must have had the worst finger on the pulse that anybody who could have the finger on anything had based on <laughs> what I thought would happen. So 
essentially I was wrong about nearly all of these outcomes. The only one that I feel good about was the Warriors Nuggets. I said, if Steph plays, this is a wrap. And game one started and I guess I didn't realize he was coming off the bench. And I was like, oh, wow, if he doesn't play, like I thought he'd be ready. And then he came in and Jordan Poole was basically the best player on the floor and all sorts of crazy shit. But like, yeah, you're right. Like I didn't think Jalen Brunson was going to turn into Allen Iverson over the last week. Like I wasn't ready for that, that transformation. So um, I think this is, and you already alluded to the injuries, right? Like those have changed multiple big time series, um, including both of the kind of defending conference champions suddenly dealing with their two guard out for, you know, a, a long stretch of time. So this is going to get really, really interesting because it's not just about winning this current series. It's about the war of attrition over time. Like, should the Suns beat the Pelicans without Booker? Yes, they should. They still have Booker, uh, Paul. They still have Aiton. They still have Bridges. But the margin of error gets that much slimmer. And even if they do advance, it's like, okay, this is a Dallas team or it's a Utah team that's fully loaded and Luka's back or whatever it might be. So that's, what, that's what's so fun about uh, the chess match that's now going to take place. Exactly, and we're gonna to get to some of those series and how. Yeah, the I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the the discussion on those series. But all right, so we're gonna go ahead with this draft. Uh, I'm gonna take the number one pick here. Um, most interesting series, like you said, both what's happened thus far and what's to come. I got Milwaukee, Chicago, the battle all of right. the Midwest. Okay. Okay. The nicest people in the world, where we all live. And kind of, you know, the I-94 uh, corridor special, as they call it, um, out here. I actually don't know if it's 94 or 90 that runs in Milwaukee. I forget. But <laughs> yeah, some some Chicago nonetheless, or Midwest citizen yeah. you are. Mars Cheese Castle. You know, <laughs> you remember Mars Cheese Castle. Shout right out at to the, Mars. Right yeah. at the midpoint of those two cities. Look, okay, here's here's the case, right? Obviously, I could have gone a number of different directions. I'm sure. So, first of all, let me. Where did you have them on your list before we? I had them we, too, so not too far. Okay, away. okay. I and this them. is all about the fact that the Middleton injury compounded with an insane DeRozan game last night, which looked reminiscent of what he was playing like in January and February, has suddenly made this very, very interesting. Um, they're going back to Chicago tomorrow night, which, by the way, another reason I have them at number one, I will be in attendance. Uh, first playoff game, first NBA playoff say. game for me, and I don't maybe since 20, 2015, I think, since I watched the Wizards uh, piss away one of the series. No, we were we were in the, oh, that's the right. playoff game. We were that's in right. Milwaukee versus Toronto, before, Toronto the year yeah. before Giannis made the leap. Yep. Remember, he was a young pup. That was a seven or eight seed. Uh, I think they were the eight seed Bucks. Uh, no, no, no. Playing... There were six. There were six. Six seed. But they're playing against the De- DeRozan and Lowry Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, they got smashed by LeBron that year. But Eastern Conference Finals Raptors. And, yep. yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. That was old stadium, right? They weren't in Fiserve yet. But, um, but anyway, so... I think this series has a lot of different directions it can go. Obviously, the Bucks still have retained, you know, the best player in the series, maybe the best player in the world. But man, losing Middleton as your primary late game shot creator and shot maker, that is massive, especially if DeRozan can kind of continue building on a bizarre performance where he was going at Giannis on a lot of these like pick oh, and roll yeah. switches. Like, it was it was Giannis crazy. Hunting. 
Uh, and Caruso was guarding Giannis one-on-one on the other end. Like the whole was thing was, I couldn't even understand what I was watching. Fascinating to watch. Um, so I, look, I, I had it number two. I think the most interesting thing to me is just, it's how kind of inept uh, Milwaukee looks offensively. They're really struggling to score in the half court. And Drew Holiday, he Drew Holiday was amazing this season in the regular season, mm-hmm. and he's having a lot of he's having a really hard, a tough time. I mean, given that also Chicago's got good defensive guards, yep. Um, but he's he needs to be that shot creator for them, especially now with Middleton out, and he has been atrocious. Yes, and they're going back to Brook Lopez as like a primary scoring threat for them. Like he's turning back the clock, turning into Brooklyn Nets Brook Lopez. And I don't know how much you can rely on that. Not a version I think you want to see, by the way. Like, if you're breaking the glass on the Brook Lopez Brooklyn experience, I'm not <laughs> sure where your team's headed. So I, they've got a lot. Of, they've always had a lot of pieces, right? Connaughton, Allen on the ed, uh, um, not Tucker. What's his name? Portis. Yeah. On the edges, but I don't know where they're going to get their offense from because Giannis is Giannis can put up 30 to 35, mm-hmm. but it's hard to. It's not sustainable in the sense that. He can go on like a four three pointer barrage, right? right? And just kind of keep you in a game when things start to slip. So I'm starting there offensively. They've got a lot of concerns now with Middleton out. And it's gonna it's already been a dogfight for points in this series. It's been a low scoring series. Yeah, I mean the biggest sign that something was up was Milwaukee came out of the gates in game one and actually absolutely stomped Chicago in the face, I think, in the first quarter. I think they were up by like 15 or 20, like right off the bat. And I was like, okay, well, it was fun. Bulls, like good season, like let's move on. But then they came back and they kept fighting. And like you said, it was a, it was a rock fight. They made it a low scoring battle. They controlled uh, Milwaukee's explosiveness. And in the game where DeRozan shot six of 25, the big three as a whole shot 29 of 71. Uh, so, I mean, Vucevic and Levine. They only lost by seven and they were, they had cut it to like two or three with a couple minutes left. So suddenly you look at yourself, look at that and you're like, okay, I don't hate how Chicago looked, especially defensively. Patrick Williams, we've talked about him all year and we even talked in the preview about how they have absolutely no answer for Giannis. And, you know, Giannis is averaging 30 and 17. It's not exactly like, you know, Pat Williams mm-hmm. is out here as the Kobe stopper level kind of Ruben Patterson situation going on. But like at the same time, he's bothering him enough. He's making them work for his shots enough. And most importantly, he's allowing them to, to single coverage uh, Giannis enough that there's not just wide open three-point shooters all over the court. And, you know, game two comes around and like we were talking about, like DeRozan is playing sort of this like surreal level of basketball. Like the shot making is Durant level. It's Michael Jordan level, honestly, with some of the difficulty of these jumpers. And wearing, you know, the red and black, it starts bringing you back to those memories. Um, and I look, he's not going to have 41 every night, but if he can keep them in it with this with efficient scoring and they have they've got the defensive machine starting to look back like what it did early in the season without Middleton, you, you're going to have a tough time. I think if you're Milwaukee generating good looks in the half court. Yeah, it's going to be really hard for them. And. What you said up top about Caruso defending Giannis, I know there's a lot of chatter about that, but it's it's amazing how effective that is because when you think about Giannis when he's out on the perimeter, why he's so good with that handle and getting to the rim is because he can blow by yeah. a typical defender who guards him or he's got the length. 
And when you, when you bother his dribbling, you kind of play up on him and send help when he does get by you, which is what Chicago was doing. That was, it was fun to watch. It was yeah. actually really fun watching Caruso just uh, man up on Giannis and then actually work. And now look, you, you can't do that the whole series. It's not going to, they'll find ways to work around that, but well, that's it's, it's those kinds thing. of things that from game to game make a huge difference. Yeah, and that's a crazy thing, right? Because before he was doing that to Giannis, he was actually checking Middleton pretty effectively, right? Like Middleton in the first half had, what, three points or five points or something? And he started getting yep. it going in the third, and it's too bad that he had, you know, I think it was a MCL sprain was the diagnosis, I believe. And yeah, so, MCL. And, like, he's actually going to be gone three to four weeks is what they're reporting, which even if they get through Chicago, he's not playing in the Boston series, right? Or Brooklyn or whatever that ends up becoming. And so I don't know how you, if you're Milwaukee, I mean, when you think about repeat and all that kind of stuff, it's panic time because as well as Boston's playing, let's just assume that they are able to hold off Brooklyn in advance. There's no margin of error in that series, right? So even if you get by a Chicago team, which again, if you have Giannis, you should be favored and they probably will be favored. Um, they have bigger aspirations than getting out of round one. Um, and suddenly you're trying to rework everything. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, let me ask you a question. Like Levine is an all-star, right? He's a two-time all-star. He's in line for a max payday. So he's actually going to be the highest paid player on this team next season. Do you think there's any part of him that looks at it like, damn, should I not be getting more than like 12 to 14 shots in the playoff game? Like, Every time down the floor, it's DeRozan ISO or DeRozan pick and roll, high pick and roll with Vooch. And in game one, those were all misses, but they kept going back to it. In game two, they were all makes. And so that's kind of like the trick or treat sort of version of that offense. But assuming, you know, they're winning, it's all good. But like, I always wonder, like Levine is a star in his own right. He must be also thinking like, when is it going to be my turn to run the show? Do you think any of that's creeping in in his mind? A little bit. I think it's a lot easier for guys like Levine to swallow that when you've been on losing teams your entire career. Yeah. And this is the first postseason. Right. You yes. swallow it a bit. But guess what? If this they bring back the squad next year, 100%, I think that that would flare up. Like this, These guys have egos. These guys care about, you know, when they're that good, when Levine yeah. is, you know, borderline all-NBA, uh, he has a right to ask for more shots. It's the And he had 13 shots last game compared to DeRozan's 31. I mean, we're talking more than a 2x difference yeah. for two guys who fundamentally play the same type of wing. So yes. I, I agree, but I think just because it's the first postseason, a lot of times you let things like that go for now. Yeah. And they should have known, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, the tweet about like every game one that DeRozan's ever played. And it's like... I did not see it. Oh my God. It's 6 of 18, 7 of 22... Four of eight, you know, 19, six of 25. Like, for whatever reason, this guy does not needs a full one full game to adjust. You know how LeBron takes game ones off kind of to dissect, but he still yep. ends up with like 38 and eight. DeRozan dissects, but he's basically throwing the ball into the stands. Um, you know what's funny that I saw on Reddit or Twitter? Um, so Gus Johnson was calling uh, yesterday's game. Yeah. And he kept talking about DeMar DeFrozen and ice in his veins. <laughs> But the DeFrozen joke was also made against him when he was breaking shots against those Cavs teams. Yeah. And it was just ice cold. So it was funny that the same nickname is now uh, being used to mean something. 
I know we've talked about him a lot this season, but I'm so, so happy for the reclamation project he's been on just in terms of the way he was kind of shit on out of the door in Toronto, all those playoff failures. They bring in Kawhi. It's a championship immediately. And then it's like awkward because he's playing, what, three straight years of semi-meaningless basketball in, in, in San Antonio. I think they made the playoffs at least one year, maybe two of those three years. They made it once. I think yeah. it's first year they made it. They made it once, and they lost to Denver, actually, Jokic in seven. Um, and it's like, oh, this is just like this reborn player who's been might as well have been in freaking, like, you know, Hungary for the last three years instead he's you know in a proud NBA franchise and now he's back to a marquee team and it's been fun like I again like I think tomorrow like being at that game I'm so hyped it's the first home playoff game the Bulls have had since what 2015 or 16 of whenever they last yeah. made it with the Jimmy Butler Derrick Rose teams um the fact that it's a series right if they had gotten blown out last night it would have been fun but it would have been like a little awkward and then the fact that with Matt, without Middleton, you're looking at a real possibility that suddenly Chicago has a slight window into, like, can we get to round two? There's going to be a different energy in the building for sure. It's yep. going to be electric. All right. Um, what is your, I guess, since I didn't pick your first pick, you can now go to your whoever was number one on your big board. It's the, the obvious one. It's Celtics-Nets. And now, look, I know the Celtics are up 2-0, and everyone wants to say the Nets are dead. I just want to point out that with going back to Brooklyn, with Durant, with Kyrie, and this was a Brooklyn team that they have not had a lot of positive things go for them the first couple of games. I mean, Kyrie went off game one. Uh, they're struggling to generate good offensive looks. Um, but at the same time, they held a big lead in game two. They you know, had a sizable lead at some point in game one, right? I think. Yeah, they were um, – um, no, I mean, they didn't have a sizable lead, but they were up like five late. Or maybe a sizable, but they were up at some point. They weren't yeah. getting just rocked all game. I the think The 17-point lead in game two, though, that's inexcusable to lose that. Yeah, and Durant, man, look, if Durant is anything as good as we say he is, I understand – we can talk about the defense and what Boston's doing is incredible. But no top 10 guy of all time gets shut out three games in a row. It, it just never happens. And if it happens again, I don't know what to say. So, and I think Kyrie, I really think Kyrie, uh, and I think I mentioned this on one of our threads, the way he jetted to the locker room to get that banana, I think Ramadan was taking a toll on him. And yeah. you don't want to use that as an excuse, but I think that game, he was not, he was not a spry, you know, and one banana and a, a thing of Gatorade is not going to automatically solve all those issues. And so I think you get a rejuvenated Kyrie. I think Bruce Brown's doing his job and Durant has a good game, you can steal one in game three, and then you go from there. I Do I think Simmons is – we can talk about Simmons, but even without the Simmons piece, you win game three, and then it's 2-1, and you're kind of where you needed to be. So, Yeah, so I had the series three. I knocked it down a peg just because it is a 2-0 lead, not a 1-1 like it should have been. But I have so many thoughts, man. Like the number one thing I'm going to say, big picture-wise – we need to, and you know Durant's my guy, even though he's yep. public enemy number one in a lot of in a lot of NBA circles. But like, we need to have a real conversation about how much of a free pass he can sometimes get because the aesthetic of his game is so sublime. Um, and what I mean by that is, 
ultimately, if you are a player of the stature that he's talked about and all the stats say he is, all the eye tests says he is, the accolades say he is, but there's too many moments like this where you can find a way to neutralize him. And like you said, no superstar of this caliber has ever had three bad games in a row. The two bad games in a row that Durant have had, has had is actually unprecedented for him. It's the first time in his yep. career he's ever shot below 40% and had over six turnovers twice in a row, right? So if this happens a third time, I don't know what to say. Um, even yesterday, he had 27, but largely because he shot 20 free throws, right? I mean, they, he went 1 of 10 in the second half, and then Kyrie, I think, sorry, 0 of 10 in the second half. 0 Kyrie for 10. Went one, 0 yeah. for 10. Kyrie went one of seven. I don't think people realize the team was one of 15 on deep twos in the second half. They didn't score a field goal from 11 minutes to three minutes in the fourth quarter. Durant and Kyrie were outscored by Peyton Pritchard in the fourth. So all this to say, I know that they're the most gifted ISO scorers in the game today and like maybe ever. You have to be able to run something when that's not working. And I don't know if Steve Nash is an actual real person or just kind of like a mannequin who looks good (laughs) in the Nets gear, but like he's got to do something, right? Like they have to trust somebody. Um, It's almost like uh, Aaron Rodgers when he was only throwing to Devontae Adams and only throwing to Aaron Jones in in the loss to the 49ers. And it's like, look, the scheme... Send it somewhere else. Your, your your stars are who you have to rely on. But when that's not working, there has to be a plan B. I'm not seeing any semblance of a plan B. It's just like Durant, just do something. Um, that's point one. Point two, the Ramadan thing. Here's what I'm confused about, right? You're allowed to break fast at sunset, correct? Yep. But you have to do it with prayer, et cetera, et cetera. But that means for at least part of that game, he was able to have fluids and eat, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Early on, right after, you know, middle of the first quarter, he was able to. Yep. So this is what's confusing, because on Sunday when he was like incredible, he played that whole game during daylight. Right. Because I checked the game started at three thirty local, mm-hmm. ended around six fifteen ish local time in Boston. Sunset was like seven thirty eight or something like that. And so he couldn't have had fluids or eating anything all game. So why was he so good then? Or do you think it's just like the multiple days is now sort of worn on him? So I don't know. I'm no expert. I've never fasted like that. But I I guess that maybe multiple days of doing it only takes a greater toll. It only gets harder. It's not that. Right. I mean, you could make the argument maybe, maybe your body adapts and it should be easier. But he, he looked completely different. You're right. that On Sunday, he was also fasting. This was during the day. And he played out of his mind. Yeah, but I mean, look, he can sometimes do this in general, Ramadan or not, right? Like he can sometimes have these games where he just looks kind of checked out. Um, We've seen it his whole career. This is one of the reasons why his game doesn't match his resume, Uh, because the best version of Kyrie is a top five player in the league. I I, I think that's like I'm taking the best version of Kyrie over the best version of a lot of guys Um, and maybe top five. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look, but like, you know what I mean? The problem is we don't see that version as often as we see yep. the best version of a Luka or a Jokic or an Embiid or whoever, the guys that bring it every night. And so that's the big challenge. But we got to give Boston so what, a ton what, of credit. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what, one thing before you get on to Boston. Um, that, that's a, so the point you brought up about KD and his history, which we don't talk about enough, and Kyrie as well. And I think very few people remember that Kyrie, because of that three-point shot and because of game... So game five, 
where he had 40 points with LeBron against yeah, 41. The yeah, they both and had then he 41. had the game when he shot. Yeah. That entire postseason, he struggled on and off. He was yeah. very on and off. And yep. there was some stat I saw with like the number of games where Kyrie has under 15 points in the playoffs, staggeringly high from a guy who is considered a superstar. Yeah. I and Durant, it's it's the same narrative where it's not that he underperforms all the time, but he has these games where he shoots really poorly. A guy like Tony Allen bothers him. A guy like uh, PJ Tucker bothers him. And when you combine the fact that Durant and Irving, as as good as they are as individual ISO scorers, they've got that floor to their game that you don't see from Luka or LeBron or some of these guys as often. And when yep. you combine two of those floors, they're screwed, especially with a team like the Nets, who there is no plan B. There's no chess move for, for um, Nash to make. What do you do? Play Dragic more minutes? Like, there's nothing you can really do with that roster. It's just ride and die. I was, think, I was thinking it, about that exact point when it related to like how bad the depth is on boss on Brooklyn's team. And I was like, Durant as as great of a passer and a playmaker and a defender and all this stuff as he's become, it's not his game to be the point guard or the even the block uh, like po- mid post facilitator. Right. That is something he's added to his game. But the times he's been most effective, he hasn't had to play that role, whether that's early in OKC with Russ and Harden or whether that's in Golden State with Steph and Draymond, right, who can be more of those those kind of like points uh, of the offense. The problem with, with what the way they're constructed right now is they're making him some type of version, like, like a bizarro version of like a Luka, where it's like, just do everything and then we'll win. And it's yeah. like, okay, but Luca is a different kind of player, right? Luca cannot score at the efficient clip and get the shots that Durant can get necessarily, but he can control the offense. Same with LeBron. And I think one of the things that we forget when we when we speak of Durant's greatness is, like you said, there's been too many instances where he hasn't gotten the looks or the the sort of production that we expect from a great, but because the good looks so good and the good is usually always there. He's very, very consistent. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. he's not, but I go back to the 2015 finals, like LeBron's playing with Della Vadova and Mozgov and he doesn't shoot the ball great, but he's doing everything and he wills them to two wins against this great warriors team. And it's like that version of Durant is still kind of missing. We saw, we saw it in a, in a, in a blip last year versus Milwaukee um, especially in game six, but then in game seven, like in overtime, he kind of faded and he couldn't get, he couldn't get the offense going aside from taking difficult jumpers. And that's Boston's like, please like, yes, continue doing that. That's exactly what we want you to do. Fighting through Al Horford, Daniel Tice, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Yeah. We'd love for you to just take these difficult turnarounds over two guys, please. And you know, they're playing right into Boston's hands who, by the way, Tatum didn't play great yesterday, right? And like, yeah. uh, you know, Jalen Brown was, but they were able to come back because they just don't give up anything easy and they don't beat themselves up. And it's an unbelievable turnaround. I don't know that I've ever recalled it, but just the moves that Brad Stevens has made in the front office. I mean, I can't believe we're headed to a Boston Golden State Finals. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Um, and, and look, Talking about Boston, we talked about before the series started, we were like, will they play KD straight up or they send double? They're very comfortable sending that second guy at him uh, when he comes off the screen, bothering him. 
getting you know his dri- bothering his dribble. I think that's the biggest thing I've noticed is how he can't even put the ball on the floor without it going off his leg, without feeling yeah. uncomfortable. It looks like he's losing control. Uh, and you got to give it's not in Brad Stevens, but it's also Ime Udoka, who this same personnel. And Al Horford, like Al Horford looks six years younger. It's unreal how he's moving on the floor on the yeah. offensive side and the defensive side. And Daniel Tice is like giving them good offensive minutes. Like you can live with him out there on the floor. I don't know, man. It's they've got so many pieces, and this is all without Robert Williams. Right. Who maybe is their best defender. I know they have the DPOI and Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart was probably their third or fourth best defender, candidly. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless. They remind me a lot of the uh, the Warriors, the death lineup Warriors, before KD, right? The the great but f- somewhat fair Warriors team. And the reason for that is, like, it's defensively. Not offensively. Offensively, that, that Warriors team, the motion, the threes, it was different, right? But the defensively, they're not huge. And, uh, like, Robert Williams is, like, 6'9". Al Horford's, like, 6'10". Tatum is 6'8". Brown is 6'7". But everyone's big. So the switching, it's the same as when the Warriors would switch Harrison Barnes with Clay Thompson, with Draymond Green, with Andre Iguodala, with Sean Livingston. Like, there's no drop-off in size or IQ or, or like, understanding of that scheme because of the continuity. That's exactly what it looks like with Boston. Like, you look at teams that are poor defensively, the number one thing is miscommunication and lack of effort. And they have neither of those issues, right? Like, they're always at the right spots and they're always making high effort plays. And so that's what you have to think is like very hard for any team to consistently score against because there's no reason why that will stop. It's yeah, it's sustainable. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, fluky where the team's getting lucky, you know, from three one night and off the other night, it's uh, sustainable what they're doing. And it's always one of those things where you see it in the regular season, but you always wonder how it translates to the postseason. Yep. And clearly it's translating really well when you have the ultimate test in terms of two unstoppable scorers. How do you take them out of their game? Right, right. You know, game three, um, obvious must win. We know this. Uh, and then game four, the Cavalry's coming. Ben Simmons. <laughs> ben Simmons oh here to God. solve all of the Nets' problems. You want to hear my prediction? He doesn't come back game three. Well, he's supposed or, sorry, to come game back four. game four. He doesn't, okay. he doesn't come back game four. So if he doesn't come back game four, uh, I mean, are you going to bring him back on the road? I don't know. They'll just say that, you know, there's been a slight delay in the timeline, whatever. And My then prediction is he'll play game four if they win tomorrow. Saturday. Sorry, Saturday. If they it's... don't win, then they're – 3-0, no team has ever come back from it. I'm guessing it's not going to be one led by Kyrie Irving. And uh, then they they know that that series is likely over. There's no reason to bring Simmons back. I don't think the Nets should bring him back. Look, we're not like, in their practice. They, we have no idea what he looks like, but I can't imagine it's a good idea to bring a guy who was not played for a year, too scared to play after that, and then had a back injury. That can't be the right combination. And, and I know the argument, oh, he, as long as he gives them something on defense, he's going to be a plus on the court. But I'm just trying to imagine the Nets on offense, Boston either hacking him, sending him to the line, or just completely leaving him open, like daring him to shoot like no one's ever done before. And is this – is he, I mean, it's one thing, to, like you said, to come back from an injury. But for a guy with supposed mental issues and 
been dealing with all the criticism. Is he going to come back and be aggressive? Highly doubt it. He's going to sit in the background, and, and I don't know if that's going to help the Nets in a pivotal game four, even if they're only down two one. So yeah, I, I have a feeling they're gonna they they're not going to play him. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we didn't even talk about anyone on the Nets except Durant and Kyrie. That kind of pretty much tells you what you need to know. And like Dragic is playing well, Bruce Brown is playing well, but they're playing in roles that they're absolutely not suited for. Uh, Nick Claxton's yep. had some moments. You know, Drummond has been kind of played out of the series as he gets played out of every playoffs he's ever been in. We we know this. He always looks good in the first quarter. I feel like Drummond always looks like, and you're always like, wow, they're getting some good minutes out of Drummond. And then later on, you're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he'll have like five about. points, like seven rebounds in the first quarter and then never show face again in a, in a meaningful exactly. manner. Um, yeah, I'm excited. And look, I think Jason Tatum, we both, no, you had him second team. I had him first team. But either way, we both had him in the top 10 this year of players. I think if you were doing the NBA rank, so to speak, he's a clear top 10 player in the league right now. Um, yep. And he's kind of I, – I saw a, a quote or I read a quote somewhere that was like, he's becoming who we always thought he was, meaning we overrated him because his peak was so good, but he wasn't consistent. Now he's found a way to be that peak every night. And that's a big deal because it all happened this year. Even at the start of the year, you remember how poorly he was shooting and how bad that team looked. So the turnaround is since January. It's not like a year and a half in the making or anything, which is amazing. And defensively, what more can be said? The the numbers where he was the sole defender on Durant, Durant struggled a lot. Yep. And it's like you said, Marcus Smart might be the third best defender on this team. Um, I have a a big problem with that award, but. First of all, the media just is predominantly there's a lot of Bostonians in the national media and in the voting populace. And there's a lot of like games played guys who are like, well, you know, Bam was at 56. My cutoff is 57, actually. So fuck off. Um, But look, I ding Bam a little bit for games played, but it was because I felt like Jaron Jackson Jr. was similar impact um and i think you and i both value what those bigs do versatile wise rim protection wise over a guard who's guarding it's almost like you know it's almost like giving defensive player of the year to a cornerback you have to be really special because of how limited amount of plays you potentially might impact right so yep and i don't think he was that level special anyway shit we are only through two series (laughs) all right who, who you got as your uh, number – who was your number two? Yeah, so my number two was the other finals participant from last year, and they are injured shooting guard, the Suns versus the Pelicans. And the reason I say this is I'm so fascinated by this Pelicans team. I hate that it's kind of becoming in vogue to be fascinated by them and to, to say <laughs> Herb Jones is, like, your favorite player in the league. But, like, the turnaround, they went they started 1-12. Three and sixteen. Like I don't know if we're making a big enough deal. And granted, they only made the playoffs at thirty six and forty six. So it wasn't like they had this insane turnaround. It was kind of, you know, fortuitous that the play in tournament existed. But the team that since CJ got there is night and day from what they had before. Um, and you just keep thinking about the fact that they got this guy out on the bench that's a top fifteen player in the league just hanging out. So Pelicans, I don't know if they can win this series, but I sure as hell know that this is not going to be a, a quiet uh, a quiet out. And now with the Booker injury, he's gone two to three weeks. He's not going to be playing this series. 
anything's on the table because the shot makers now all exist on the New Orleans side, right? With Ingram and with mm-hmm. uh, CJ and even with, you know, Valanchunas, who's probably a more offensively minded player than, than his counterpart in uh, Aiton. So. I had this as number five. Okay. Yeah, I felt now, like I was high on this one. That being said, I think there's a lot to like about the series because of what we saw with the Booker injury. Now, I want to say I like the Pelicans. I've always and this we've seen a little bit of this the last couple of years when the the Bulls go and make what are considered moves that seem kind of futile, like Odd ah, DeRozan, Vooch, like where is this team really going? And the same thing with the Pelicans, CJ McCollum, like you're just trying to play for the lower part of the playoff bracket. Mm-hmm. I love these kinds of moves because they're the ones that are available. Yeah. And it's better than just if you like the alternative sometimes is just bottoming out and trying to get a top pick. Yep. And I think that a team like the Pelicans, when you were able to get a, a CJ McCollum show enough promise, all of a sudden the Zion conversation swing in your favor, you get Zion back and then who knows what happens. So I, I admire what the Pelicans have done. I just think that if Phoenix really is this juggernaut that we all thought they were, a team that came off a finals appearance last year, a team that's led by the steady hand of Chris Paul, that has defensive like talent like Mikel Bridges and DeAndre Aiden, I have a hard time seeing them lose the series even with Booker out. Because guess what? Teams that are as good as the Suns are in the regular season, 64-18, all their metrics... They can win despite injuries in the first round. And I know the Pelicans have played much better than everyone thought going back to New Orleans. I still don't think, I think defensively Phoenix can play a lot better. The most surprising thing about last the game two was every time Phoenix scored in the fourth quarter down the stretch, they couldn't get a stop. It was Ingram hitting big shot after big shot, CJ. And I'm just wondering, you know, what what is their defense giving up or what happened? Were there I, I didn't look at the tape afterwards and see if you know what kind of breakdowns happened, but Ingram was I just, just making like, crazy shots. He's making tough shots. You can't do anything about it, but I just think that they're good enough of a defensive team that they will get stops, they will find ways to score, and they'll win in six. So I am not picking New Orleans to win. And the reason why this is so high for me is less about do I think it's compelling from like who's gonna come out of this uh round. It's more of like I really, really like watching this New Orleans team play. I think they play free. They play fast. And actually, Willie Green is Monty Williams' disciple, right? He was on the Phoenix Suns coaching staff last year on that finals run. So he knows these guys, right? And so the chess match is actually quite interesting because he knows exact tendencies of all these players. And like you said, like, they have all-world players in Chris Paul. They have all-world defenders. You mentioned those two, Bridges and Aiden. You also have have Cam Johnson. You have Jay Crowder. You have, like... Even like guys at campaign, Landry Sherman, there's still enough depth, and I don't think that six sounds right. Like maybe New Orleans gets one more, especially as we're going back home. Um, I just enjoy the play style so much and I enjoy um, the shot making. I think it's CJ has always been a big time playoff performer. Like I always felt like he got overshadowed because Dame was the name. But if you go back, yeah, through Dame a would lot have those, a couple big shots that we all remember yeah. him by. Yeah, and if you go back through, like even the even the series where OKC, if you remember, Dame sent OKC home in round one, and we still have that yeah. like image of him getting hugged and him waving. Bye bye. He yeah. sucked in round two versus Denver. CJ carried them 
Uh, that was the year they made the conference finals, and CJ carried them in round two and was actually the better player in round three. Even though they got swept by the Warriors, he was the better player. And so we forget about that. He's got no All-Stars to his name because of the crowded West and, you know, all those types of things. But he's every bit as good of an offensive player as you'll find uh, at the guard position, right? And I think even when you talked about the Ben Simmons trades, like he was getting undervalued a little bit, by myself included, right? You're like, oh, the contract, the age, blah, blah, blah. Guy's a shot maker. Ingram has turned into a player I didn't think he had in him uh, when you saw him early in, in, in L.A., in, you know, the first couple of years. And, uh, yeah, maybe six is right. Maybe it goes seven because they have another one of it these could. crazy shopping games. Mm-hmm. I, if Phoenix loses, I mean, they were never going to win the title anyway uh, to not get out of a 1-8 matchup with, with just one player out. But And, by the way, New Orleans is missing their best player too. It's not like they don't they have their full complement. So, um yeah, it, it's fun, and I think all the backstories with the coaching staff and, you know, Paul playing his former team, all that kind of stuff, or former city, I should say, that, that's kind of a fun element. Yeah, I want, I want to see the Suns' defense play like Boston, and I don't know if it's a sense of urgency. It's Because like, they've got the personnel. They've got guys who can switch. They need to make it tougher on CJ and Brandon Ingram to score. These guys are, yeah, granted, they're hitting tough shots. They're too comfortable. They're yeah. like way too comfortable. Boston but, seems yeah, to we'll be one of the few teams in the league, maybe the only team, where defense is, predicates their strategy more than offense. Yeah. Um, and every other team plays defense as their offense allows them to, or it's really about what they want to do on the other end. Boston's like, we'll get our shots, we'll get our looks, whether it's Tatum creating, Marcus Smart, whatever. But it starts with us on making stops, and that's ultimately what's going to, be, you know, kind of drive the success of the team. And you know, no other team, I think Warriors maybe to an extent, but no other team plays that way. And I think it's an advantage for them for sure. All right. Yep. What do you have? So I guess your third series, but this is yeah, be so the my, fourth one overall that we're talking about. Mine is uh, Grizzlies, Timberwolves. Okay. Um, I have now why I find five. I find this interesting because two young teams – the series looked, I mean, first of all, Minnesota opened with a bang, stole game one. Memphis came back, won game two. And a lot of us thought, okay, game three, maybe Memphis writes the ship. And Minnesota came out guns a-blazing, and we saw what happened tonight. 20-point lead, they give it up. It's close. They go back up more than 20. And then the game ends on a 50-16 to 16 run by Memphis. <laughs> what What's fascinating about this series to me is is so many things. One is obviously Ant is the guy in Minnesota, and it's become clear now. But what's even more fascinating is Cat and a guy who was just crowned by many of us, me and you both, third team All NBA, a guy who won, uh, who had one of the best shooting seasons ever for a big man, who also won the three point contest this year in a lot of ways, and then the Timberwolves made the playoffs. This felt like a coronation for Cat and kind of a validation of Cat. Mm-hmm. And after tonight, and, and can I interject? On top of, yeah, go ahead. Twenty nine and thirteen in the game one win too. After kind of messing, kind of being bad in the play in, he validated himself within the series in game one within the series. And then, but then he has a game like he did today. Yeah. And look, bad games happen, but also coming off the bad taste of what happened in the play in game it really has me rethinking or has people rethinking fair or not. Is he the guy 
to build around in Minnesota. And I, you know, a lot of reactionary Wolves fans right after the game were like, we need to get rid of him. We need to get rid of him. I don't know if that's a solution. But you can put a lot of blame on all kinds of things that happened in the game, not calling a timeout during the 21-0 run, all of that. But ultimately, I think Cat is the most surprising thing so far in the series. And if he's going to struggle like this, it, it's more quite, it's, you know, they're never expected to win this series, but it's bigger questions moving forward well, with how they want to build. So, yeah, I think that's all spot on. And frankly, I had this higher on my list of, uh, of series until this meltdown tonight. And the reason I say that is you don't get to be up 26 against the two seed a lot, right? And then have the chance to get to another 20 point lead and then blow that one. Like it is. And at home, all at home. I would be very curious. And I'm sure Elias sports bureau, ESPN stats info is all, all over this. I'd be very curious for how many times a multiple 20 point leads were blown in a playoff game. And then yeah, that at home caveat. And if you had to decide what makes it a second 20 point lead, it's if it gets back to like under seven or six or something like that. I don't know. Some, some number, but Cat and I'm a defender of Cat, staunch defender. I think that he is given a bad rap because he, a lot of losing in his career, the Devin Booker special, et cetera. But when you put competent players around him, suddenly it all looks good. That being said, there's just no defense for how foolish he plays the game sometimes. Uh, we talked about this after the play-in. Four of his six fouls were incredibly dumb. Same thing happened in game two. He got into foul trouble, and I think he fouled out or he finished with five. But again, total non-factor in a blowout. Tonight, they had every opportunity to win. They should have won. He takes four shots, again has foul trouble. Again, ticky-tack, dumb fouls where on picks where he's not set or on you know reaches on off, you know trying to go for offensive rebounds, things of that nature. And you get to a point where you're like, you 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 think you're being aggressive or you think you're sort of like playing hard or going after it the great ones play aggressive but they play in control and that's the thing he has yet to learn and it's because he has not been in a lot of big moments like when we talk about guys conserving for the right spots or picking and choosing it's not because they're tired it's not because they're lazy it's because they're actually processing everything that's happening and doing exactly what the defense allows and if you're a great player like Cat is, there's a lot of things the defense will not be able to stop you from doing. You just have to figure out what that is and go after it. A third-team All-NBA player taking four shots in a game, it's Ben Simmons is the only guy <laughs> they can think of that can actually like pull that off and nobody really bats an eye, right? Um, it's it's really embarrassing. And, and I, I look, after game two, I actually had a lot of recalls to last year's Memphis-Utah series where – Memphis came out one game one, everyone was hyped. And then Utah was like, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to win four straight. After that game two loss, I was like, uh, the game two win by the Grizzlies. I was like, okay, they figured it out. Ja, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, JJJ. It's kind of all clicking. Then you look at tonight and you're like, uh, maybe this is a bigger problem. And by the end of it, of course, it was a 10 point Grizzlies win, which is just bizarre. <laughs> um, I think this was their shot. Like I wouldn't be surprised if it is four one. And you know who my favorite comp for Cat has always been? Who do I always, always Cousins. bring it back to? DeMarcus Cousins. Cousins. Yeah. And every like as I was listening to you talk about all his flaws, which I agree, everything screams DeMarcus Cousins. And look, he's not as immature as Cousins, but the kind of guys who can go 50 and 15 and just wow you, right? Doing everything on the floor. Yeah. But can also get into foul trouble, stupid fouls, lose control of a game. 
disappear sometimes when you really need them. And Cat's better than Cousins, better than Cousins. Uh, you know, Cousins never going to be as good as Cat. But I think it's a very what what kind of player does Cousins, does Towns need to be for this Timberwolves team to be successful? Is a question they have to figure out in the offseason. Yeah. Because I don't think the problem is, you know, they can take out D'Angelo Russell. I, he has not been playing well. They can make moves around the edges. But for this team to really go somewhere, they have to figure out what their identity is. Because now they're not just a regular season. You know, it's a fun regular season story. It's not that anymore. This yeah. is a team that they made the postseason once. They're going to be expected to get here again. Yeah, that's so, totally true. curious to see what they do. Well, the thing with me is, like, there's been a lot of crowning of Ant, uh, especially after game one when he looked unstoppable <laughs> plus the play-in. But I don't think he's there yet. Like, I like Ant. I love Ant. I think he's going to be a phenomenal player. But I just think it's unfair to count on a second-year, 21-year-old, much like LaMelo Ball, who was making a lot of kind of boneheaded decisions and wasn't able to take over in their play-in game. Ant is a better player, I think, than LaMelo. Or, I don't know, LaMelo made the All-Star team this year, so who's to say? But nonetheless, it's like you can't expect that to happen every night. There's going to be a lot of bumps along the way. So Cat is by no means like relegated to some type of secondary role. He should still be the best player on the floor. Um, But to your point, it's like, what does that look like for them to be successful? And I think he's only got one version of that, which is like the Cousins thing. Let me just score a lot and grab a lot of rebounds. Hell if I play defense. Hell if I like, you know, act like a good leader on the floor. Hell if I even stay on the floor with stupid fouls. Like, I'm just going to be petulant and cry to the refs. Like, there's an element to his game, and it reminds me – yeah, you're right. It does remind me a lot of that. I mean, Cousins never got to the playoffs with the Kings. um, But unfortunately, by the time we saw him in the playoffs, it was kind of like after his prime. He was a shell of himself, yeah. Aside from like that's – did he – they made it one year, right, with the Pelicans, or was he already hurt by then? I can't remember. Um, But either way, we we never got to see him on this stage when he was making all NBAs. And um, I think if we did, I'd be curious to see how he would respond because later in his career, he's a little bit better, more more in control, but that's also a different version. Yep. Um, what about uh, Memphis? I mean, they won 56 games. They looked great all year with or without Jai. Any, any worry? Like if you think about like right now, let's say it's Memphis, Golden State next round. Golden State, even though they're the lower seed and will not have home court advantage, is going to be favored, I think, just because the experience, championship, pedigree, etc. Has Memphis shown you anything that's sort of been like, okay, they're not ready yet? Or are they like some a game like tonight where Plenty. they can come back gives you hope? Plenty. Because I look, what they showed tonight is, I mean, that's what you want to see from a team is having that grit, being able to come back, uh, weather adversity. But, I mean, you can't play this. Their offense is going hot and cold in a way that you can't against Golden State. You're going to get boat raced. You're going to go down 20, and you're not going to be able to fight back because you're not going to be able to get the same kind of stops. Like, Minnesota did them a lot of favors with, like, gives credit to Memphis' defense, but Minnesota played into the hands of, of how Memphis wanted them to towards the end of that game. And I don't think you can do that against the Warriors. I, I think watching the series just made it clear that there's no like the Warriors are gonna win in five. If yep. that, I don't know. I might be overreacting, but no. They, I mean, look, as they're a young made, team, and, right? They're, and Jaws mortal. Like, yeah, he is. Jaw the youngest team in the playoffs, stretches. right? They're young, so it's not their year. A lot to be excited about moving forward, but yeah, I I think this series has shown that they're not ready yet. 
Memphis, and they're further ahead than Atlanta. But look, Atlanta made the conference finals last year. And I think what happens when you have so many guys and you have such good depth, some of them just don't matter as much in this stage. And they really, Atlanta's the same way. They need a consolidation trade. Um, there's a lot of 100%. Really deep, that's why you do well in the regular season. Right. Because you you've got a deep like, rotation. Right. And you can play 10 and it's fine. I mean, Miami, for example, is deep, but they're deep with the right kind of role guys that still allow the stars to be stars. In Memphis, it's interesting because any of Bain, Triple J, Ja, Dylan Brooks can have 20 to 30 points a game. Mm -hmm. And there's like, there's still kind of this, like, I don't know who's, is it my time? Ja is obviously a, a notch above the other three. But even amongst the other three, it's kind of hard to like delineate shots and touches. And that doesn't even get to like the Tyus Jones or like a uh, Brandon Clark or DeAnthony Melton. Some of these other guys were like, well, I, I could play too. And so I think I'm interested to see kind of how the series and the rest of the playoffs go for them. But I imagine they're going to be a candidate to figure out how do we level up our second guy um, by packaging some of these other very good but not great players. Yeah, and they've got a ton of assets in terms of guys who can find roles in other teams. So it should be easy for them to do that. But you're right. like the, These deep rotations in the playoffs, we see it every year. You win a ton of regular season games by being able to play 10 different guys. And then the moment you got to tighten that to seven, you don't have a core seven you can trust. Yep. Or a consistent seven, uh, it becomes difficult. So, Okay. All right, we're halfway through. We are uh, not doing All the right, we can zip through some of these, though. Well, my number four, so this will be our fifth one, is Mavericks Jazz. Um, is that at least the next one that we haven't talked about on your list, or you got something That's else? That's the fourth one for me, too. Okay, so the top five is a different order, but the same five. Yep. Um, I am. <laughs> I put this on the list at four. <laughs> Solely because now after tonight, this is the Utah Jazz funeral. Um, <laughs> this core as we know it, I maybe they come back, but to lose at home, no Luka, you know, can't stop Spencer Dinwiddie, Jalen Brunson going off, Davis fucking Bertans making threes, and all of the things that work for you in the regular season, yet another year you've struggled to sort of match in the playoffs. And I, I haven't even looked at the box score from tonight, but you just look at it, they just can't get stops. And this is a team that slipped defensively during the regular season, but with Gobert on the floor, they were still pretty good. Now it's like, it's kind of, you know, Jalen Brunson has 31 a night after he has 41. And I, that's not on Gobert. It's actually a lot on Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, who are terrible defenders at this point. But if they win this series, I'll be shocked because the Mavs did the exact thing that was the perfect situation for them, which is get a game three win. So even if Luca's not quite 100% in game four, it's all gravy. They can wait for his return back home and they just have to win two of three at home. So that's that's why this is on the list. Just what Utah is going to do to respond and then kind of the aftermath if they do end up losing this series. They're, they're there's nothing they can do. They've lost it. You can see it in the body language. I don't I don't know how to describe it. It's this team. It's it's been the same core for a while under Quinn Snyder, and this is a team that's was the one seed last season. No, two seasons ago. No, last they were season. the they were the one seed last season. Yeah, they were the one seed last season. The year before that, they were also a high. This team and uh, offensively, this is still the number one team this year. Yep. There's no excuse. 
we can talk all about how they don't have enough defensive talent around the perimeter, right, to accompany Gobert. That's one of their biggest challenges right now. Um, we can talk about, uh, you know, the lack of sometimes Mitchell can't really score in the fourth. He has trouble uh, getting them points when they, they have to settle for a half-court kind of game late in the fourth quarter. All that being said, this team, there's no reason they should be losing to a Dallas team devoid of superstar talent right now without Luka. And a lot of it is, I think it's just, I think this team doesn't care for each other, man. Like, you know what? Things run their course like four or five years together. Yeah. The defensive effort isn't there. Like you mentioned earlier with Boston, discipline is one of the biggest components of a good defensive team. This Utah team with a lot of the same pieces was a top defensive team overall just a couple years ago. Yep. They've slipped in the regular season this year. They've completely slipped in the postseason. And I hate how everyone wants to blame Gobert. Like, yes, there are flaws with Gobert. And he's not, you know, you can kind of build an offense to, or scheme an offense to beat that kind of a defense. But the rotations are bad. They're leaving guys wide open. They're doubling and over-rotating too quickly. It's just a, a shit show. And this is a classic case of Donovan Mitchell. We all know he's going to leave after this. Quinn Snyder might get fired. I don't know. But this team is going to look very different next year. So many CP3, Blake, Lob City vibes right now. Um, uh, yeah. The end of that era, right? Yeah. The end of that era where it was clear that they were no longer championship contenders. They missed their window, but they were still playing together. It's the exact same thing. Um, I don't remember what the last series the Clippers played together was, um, but you could tell it was over. Um, it, it's it's even like the Cleveland first stint of LeBron where he walks off after that Boston series and the team's just kind of given up back in 2010, yeah. and you're like, this is done. And it was done after game three, just like this. And the thing is, the thing that makes this frustrating if you're – Utah Jazz fan or just somebody who's like kind of like what the hell's going on is that like you said this team does not have their superstar they do not have Luka Doncic if he was carving them up okay you could talk yourself into like all right well this is a you know historic player playing at the top of this game whatever bad matchup bad matchup something but it's Jalen Brunson who was absolutely terrible in last year's playoffs who you know is a great complimentary piece but at the same time is just that and he's like averaging 30 points like 30 plus points a game in this series. And he's the one main consistent offensive threat. So I think that's the part that's most, uh, if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if you're Utah, that's the part that's most frustrating and it ties entirely to effort. Uh, it's really like you have to care and it looks like they've stopped caring. So if Luke is healthy and I think he will play when he's healthy, like I don't think they'll be like, well, let's sit him game four and just spot them a game. They're not, it's a playoffs. You can't really do that. But um, I do think that like, if he looks anything like his normal self, they may blow him out the last couple of games. And then Utah just yeah, go, you, goes but home. You, like you said, you can afford to, and that's the beauty of it. If yeah. he's even iffy, you don't it's have so to risky, rush back though, over dude. the like, It's so risky. It's not like Luka guarantees them a w victory. Obviously, he gives them a better chance, but like if he's laboring at all and he's still playing and he potentially is, maybe he's hurting them, like you just... I think that if he's cleared and if he's ready to go, of course you don't do anything rash, but if he's ready to go, you put him out there because it's it's dangerous to spot anybody a game in the playoffs. You're right. You're right. And, you know, look, also you shouldn't look ahead, but just looking ahead and seeing that you may get a Phoenix team without Booker. Yeah. 
this could this be is it. Like this, I mean, you, you never know when the postseason run is going to come, right? It could happen at any time. You can't assume that. Oh, you know, we'll wait till next year to right. run it back then. So, and look, there's no apologies. The Suns got the uh, Clippers without Kawhi, right? Yeah. And they got the Lakers without Davis. And so there's no one's feeling bad for anyone else. Um, you know, I get, I just get worried. Like I told you with the calf strain, because it's a hard injury to come back from, and it's a dangerous injury to aggravate. And so, you know, I know they're being cautious. Like this is their main, the, the series that keeps being brought up was Dirk being held out in 03 um, with a similar injury where they thought he could have played and they're going to take a long view, but this could be the shot. Who knows, right? Like who yeah. the hell knows what's going to happen. So um, Utah, the one thing I would say is like Donovan Mitchell's under a long-term contract. Rudy Gobert's under a long-term contract. All that to say, although they're going to try to do right by whatever they want to do, they're not just going to be demanding out, like, let me go to X team and that. And that. Like, it's going to be a little different. Like, I'm sure Mitchell might want to go to uh, the Knicks, right? Like, hometown team, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, it's not like unless the Knicks have the best package, Utah's not inclined to do that or even move him at all. Um, he doesn't strike me as the James Harden, I'm going to quit on my team type thing. So, in that context, like, I don't know that a Mitchell trade is guaranteed. I feel like a Gobert one is more so because it's going to be driven by the team. You're right. But they're going to blow up something. Um, Snyder's gone. Also. We all know. Huh? Snyder's going to be gone if they lose. This yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, I, I'd love. I'd love for the Kings to get him. Um, I mean, Perfect yeah. guy who can... All we need is someone to help us through the regular season. I can worry about the postseason. You should get Frank Vogel, honestly. I, I'm okay with him too, but somehow Though it could be this... more like the Orlando stint than the Indiana or LA stint. That's the problem, which was which was bad. Yeah, um, but all right. So what do you got? So now we're on number six. We're on number six. All right, we got to zip through these. I got Sixers Raptors. Um, Same three zero. So obviously not much of a fight anymore. I was totally wrong. This is JV versus Varsity as it relates to like star power. Uh, and Harden's not even playing that well, but Embiid, I mean, what he did yesterday, the shot making, obviously the game winner we know, but just everything he was doing the second half, he had five points in the first half, right? So the second half in overtime, he was basically um, unguardable. And so you think about all of that, you think about his offensive repertoire is as complete as I've ever seen from I'm going to go hyperbole mode. It's maybe the most complete offensive repertoire ever. When you think about <laughs> he's Shaq in the low post, he's Kobe on the perimeter. Like, what is going on right now? And he shoots his free throws at 85%. So what the fuck are you supposed to do? Um, it's, I don't know. Like, it's, it's literally on my list and not number eight, even though the series is about to be over, because Embiid is entering a pretty scary place as a player. I love, I love it. I love Embiid. I think he's just despite the fouls and, you know, some of the aesthetics to his game. Sometimes I think he's an easy guy to root for in general. Yeah. One thing I hate about how well he's playing is that it's bringing up all the, see, this is why he should be MVP over Jokic. And it's I'm having trouble with that. Storm. Right yeah. I hate that part of it, but I, I agree, man. I mean, the Shaq, and then hitting fadeaway threes, it's it's like it's like Towns has all the tools, right? This is, we we're just talking about Towns. He's got a lot of those tools, but the aggressiveness and the dominance isn't there. Yeah. 
which Embiid shows on a daily basis. Yeah. And you forget this team was cruising through the regular season even before Harden. Like this guy's a one man show. And I, th- the only concern I have is we've seen this in the past couple of postseasons. He's still conditioning, 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 and he's doing so much on defense, so much on offense, and we're only in round one. Yeah. And he's got to get through the gauntlet to get to the finals. So my only concern right now is how long can he keep it going, especially when Harden isn't giving you that off. He's a great playmaker, but he's not giving you that offensive boost that they could sometimes need. Tobias Harris is filling in that role right now. But you know Tobias Harris. He can disappear at any time. And Maxi's still young. So, Well, Maxi's been a revelation, right? Maxi is one of four players in NBA history to put up 80, 15, and 10 across his first three games. The other three are Luka. Oh, sorry, first uh, one of five players. Luka, LeBron, uh, Magic Johnson, Real Deal Bradley Beal. That's the only reason you wanted to bring up that. Under the age of 21. Under the age of 21, 80, 15, and 10 in their first three games. If Ramadan falls during May. (laughs) Just kidding. But um, so basically, you're right. We don't know what can we just expense. We can't just pencil him in for like 25 at night, right? Like that's not yet where he is in his game. But I do think that like. Harden is not the most – he's still their second most important player uh, offensively, but he doesn't have to be 22, 15, and 8 Harden for them to win if they can get between the combination of Maxi and Harris something. And that's a pretty big deal given that he's clearly lost a step. Uh, that much has been clear. And uh, Toronto does not have the top-end talent that they're going to see even next round with – with Jimmy and Bam. The problem, like you said, is Embiid's doing so much, they obviously would have hoped for a quick series and a long one on the other end. Depending on what Atlanta can do tomorrow night, that might be a quick series too. So neither team might not ha- might have a lot of rest, even though they're, you know, they're through to round two pretty quickly. So we'll, we're just going to have to see how this plays out. But, but you're right. Like he looks like he's laboring at times on the court and that's somewhat of his, just like his MO. He like always his gate like, is just like that. Like that's how he looks whenever he, yeah, he's just play. lumbering around. Like he's just been asked to like carry like millions of pounds on his back forever. But like, I, I mean, I think when you think about the way he can score so efficiently, just based on free throws, I don't worry about his production. It's more defensively if he's able to keep it up. Yeah. Like he's guarding Pascal Siakam like one on one. Like that's a big ass. That's for the thing. He's doing twos. a lot defensively, right? Um, and even even Giannis, right? Like Giannis, who's also asked to do a lot defensively. I feel like he's been taking off a little bit possessions, not taking off possessions, but not exerting the same energy like from possession to possession. Yeah. But Embiid, it feels like it's it's insane. I can't wait to watch the Embiid Bam matchup, right? Because I don't think Bam can guard him one on one. I just it's just no. going to be hard for him at that size. But but they, they can make it tough. The help they send with Jimmy can, with Kyle, they got bodies that they can kind of yeah. crowd Embiid with, make it difficult. Philly has built a team that makes it kind of hard to double them. Like aside from Tybal, you're not really comfortable leaving shooters open. Um and so if they play Danny Green there, if they play George's Niang with Harden, Maxi Harris, like, I mean, they just have to make their rotations crisp, which Miami will. But, 
I mean, doubling him is the way to stop Philly. That's what's been the recipe before, but that also included Ben Simmons on the court. We don't have a non-shooter in his mold right now. True, but the shooting with Philly can be shaky at times because Nyang and Green are not reliable. Um, Maxi's not like, super consistent from three. Mm-hmm. It it's uh, yeah, but I agree. It's it's gonna be hard to to just automatically double. But you know, you send a late double, you frustrate him. I think Embiid's one of those guys where you get physical with him early on and you're aggressive. Mm-hmm. It changes the way he plays uh, the rest of the game. So. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, okay, cool. So then seven, who'd you have? I had Warriors Nuggets. Okay. I had at eight, Heat Hawks seven, so we have the opposite there. Let's go. I want to put the Warriors Nuggets at eight. I've had no uh there's no series well, of well, interesting. I don't know if you are looking right now or watching. Nuggets I, came back. I saw back. the score like two minutes ago. What Nuggets what came back from ten at ten down at the half. They're now up two with three minutes ago. Jokic, for all those MVP haters, is currently sitting on a 35, 37-16-5 with three that, steals. They'll still lose, they'll still lose this game. Um, but here's it's the thing, so right? It's so fucking unfair. They have Jordan Poole. It makes me sick. It, you know what the worst thing about this Warriors uh, resurrection is? Guess who came out the woodworks recently to, to drop another quote? Joe Lacob, who, oh, you know, no. famous for light years ahead and kind of just w- talking about how ahead of the league is, came and, yes, it's while it's fun to make fun of the Lakers, had that quote about the way we build our team, right? We don't need to go after all these aging vets and things like that. And I'm just hating that cockiness and that bravado from the old Warriors teams is returning. It's And awful. I, I, I'm a hater, I admit. I just don't want to see it again. So I... This Dude, is my worst nightmare come true. Why? Why does it's almost like I'm like Mugatu and Zoolander. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills with the way people don't understand and recognize the Warriors pure arrogance and ego. Like it's not becoming. It's not cute. It's not like a nice story. Steph is not America's not. superstar. Like Jesus, like <laughs> what is going on? Like, do people not recognize how irritating it is for this front running motherfucking group of people to like just wait till they get back to the top and then just talk shit. Like I'm, they're a great team. They're obviously one of the best teams, the best team ever when you're talking about the 2017 Warriors, but this Joe Lacob, Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, like axis of just arrogance, all subtle except from Joe Lacob is like, it's too much for me to handle. Then they throw in Jordan Poole, who's not only a good shooter, who's not only like the fastest player in the league, is somehow like an absolutely insane one-on-one player who is like a it's almost like he's a modern version of Clay or something like that. It's crazy. Oh yeah. Um and they have Kaminga, they have Poole, and Moody. Like, yeah, Moody, they have James Wiseman who's just chilling somewhere and never to be seen again, I guess, but like you know, and and the worst part is the cap sheet, which I was hoping would fuck them, is not going to because when Pool is eligible for free agency, which is after next season, Wiggins comes off the books, and realistically, you're probably not going to need Wiggins if you have Kaminga and Moody and all these guys. And then oh you no, just, they'll jettison Wiggins right away, right? And you just pay that, pay him Pool's number, and you know, Steph, Clay, Dre make a lot of money, but a lot of them are going to. You know, they're going to have 
smaller contracts, not bigger as they get older. And so in, in theory, it's actually going to become a little bit more affordable, which really grinds my gears. Um, this look, yeah. uh, the Durant injury, the clay injury, blessings in disguise, absolute blessings because it gave them two years to get good picks. One year they got Wiseman, which, you know, Wiseman may not be much, but also they made the trade with D'Angelo Russell for Andrew Wiggins, right? They have an extra pick last year. They got Kuminga and Moody. Kuminga already shown he's really good. Moody is still a lot of promise. He's had some flashes. So not only have you come off of uh, three titles in a four-year span, two years of, you know, blah, and now you're back restocked with Clay playing. I mean, Clay will eventually looks like he can get back to what he was. Maybe not 100%, but almost there. Steph is the same guy he's always been. And now you're getting Jordan Poole. Draymond is still a game changer defensively. Like, what wasn't Draymond supposed to fall off? Wasn't Clay supposed to struggle? Like, I'm just mad, man. I And now with Phoenix potentially struggling with Booker out, there's a clear, not clear path, but a very, very doable path to the finals and then winning the finals because probably play Boston or and Miami, maybe. But yeah, they're gonna Yeah. I don't know. And since I, I take that Denver was up too, they've completely collapsed and gave up five straight points. What did I say? I said they were gonna lose right after you said that. And now they're um, down five, yeah. Yeah, true. Especially the clay injury and then the the very sneaky sign and trade for Kevin Durant for D'Angelo Russell, which was basically at the time of the trade, they were like, we're going to trade Russell. We're not keeping him. We just needed to get a good asset. And they found the team that loves D'Angelo Russell because Carl Anthony Towns loves D'Angelo Russell. And it's just, it's, um, it's hard to believe that everything kind of worked out after like a one year hiatus. And we should be giving Steph more shit for not making the playoffs last year. Somehow he's skated, you know. Skated well, I did, I did, but no one wanted to join. In. You, you were like not in agreement with me there. I was talking about how that should matter that he couldn't make the playoffs with that team. Damn. But Steph then LeBron just, didn't do it this year, so I guess you could use the same thing against him. Steph just hit a layup to ice it and just said, "Did the good night symbol." <laughs> he's not likable. I, that, I, dude, that's what I've always been saying. He's not likable. There's I don't know why. About his demeanor. And he's not some like happy-go-lucky kid from like middle of nowhere. His dad was literally one of the greatest NBA three-point shooters of all time. This isn't like uh, the, the feel-good story of all time. Yeah, he didn't get big-time offers, but he was still born on third base. Like, Let's not call it something it's not. This is what I used to always say when it was him versus uh, LeBron in those years, where it's like as much as people hate LeBron and like to prop up Curry – LeBron was the guy who kind of made it out the gutter. Curry was the guy spoon-fed. You know, he was freaking at courtside at all his dad's games, like wearing Hornets gear. Yeah, Glenn Rice was like teaching him perfect rotation <laughs> on his shot. I mean, LeBron exactly. was also 6'9", 260, so uh, also helpful in his pursuit of an <laughs> NBA career. But nonetheless, um, yeah, I'm not thrilled with this, and I think that uh, – it's probably good night for Denver uh, on this series. They're going to go down 3-0. This was the winnable game. Everyone knows game three at home down 2-0 is your best chance to grab one. Uh, that's a cue for Atlanta tomorrow night, but uh, they didn't do it. And so, you know, talk about a short series or a short series for rest. The Warriors might have a lot of time if Milwaukee, sorry, if Minnesota and Memphis kind of go toe-to-toe. 
Oh, God, Draymond is screaming at the top of his lungs at the fans. All right, man, you guys are beating up on the Nuggets. Calm down. I hate it. All right. I hate yeah. everything. All right. Atlanta, All right, Miami. Atlanta, Miami. Uh, first game, I, I, of course, boldly proclaimed that Atlanta was going to give them trouble, and they had no one to guard Trey, and then he just goes one of 12 for, uh, you know, four points or six points or whatever it was in game one. So that was obviously not ideal. They have no chance. Um, Miami's just too big, too strong. They can dominate all of their little guards. I mean, Atlanta made a nice run in game two to cut it to three, and then it was back to being over. So unfortunately, just the, the reality is like Atlanta doesn't have enough horses, and for a team that made the conference finals, had to get their way back in during the play, and that's that's disappointing. Um, I don't know where they go from here. Like I mentioned, they're a consolidation trade candidate, but you start with Trey. He's a sublime offensive player. It's just hard to build a great defense, um, and so it's really important that that they figure out the other pieces that are not just offensively driven guys either. Yeah, this is the same thing we talked about last year, and you mentioned it earlier in the pod. They've got a lot of guys, um, but they don't have the right defensive pieces, and so they're going to have to make a lot of – they've got to reshuffle the roster. I'm surprised John Collins is still there. Yeah, he's a well, good he just player. signed the extension, so not only is he That's there, what I'm saying, he signed the extension because I, I thought he was going to get traded even you know before. Uh I don't know, man. I this is this series is kind of boring. I think the most interesting thing taken away from this series is, I think Miami. We continue to sleep on Miami, and because they're beating on a Hawks team that no one's taking seriously, they're just kind of look. They've got Philly in the next round. No reason they can't beat them. And then you've got a path through Boston potentially, maybe Brooklyn or Milwaukee. I there's a very Decent chance they get to the finals. And Miami's a weird team where I don't know why is it like, tell me why you think they don't get enough credit. Is it because they don't have like a top ten guy? Because well, they made the finals two years ago, but everyone dismisses it as a fluke because it's the bubble. Well, we were they, putting they Jimmy lost early last year. Category after that bubble run, right? We did, yeah. And and last year they were a disappointment, but they had all kinds of COVID issues and injuries, and you know, they, they flamed out in the first round after that. It's weird how people don't talk about them enough, given that they've got star power, they've got defensive talent, they've got a coach and an infrastructure and a system that has shown that it can work, and yet no one wants to talk about them. It's it well, baffles me. Jimmy had what forty five in game two, something outrageous like that. He is yep. the only superstar in the league that can go from looking like you know, Kevin Durant one night to looking like Draymond Green the next night in terms of the type of basketball he chooses to play. Some games he'll have eight points and like 12 assists, 12 rebounds. Some games he'll have 45. And it's just like, because of that unknown with him and he's their best player or even the unknown with Bam, right? So sometimes Bam will put up a 25 and 12 and the other times he's playing amazing defense, but he just doesn't get numbers or Hero who's kind of trick or treat and like Larry who's like, Again, going to play, make all the right plays. Sometimes the numbers are there, sometimes they aren't. It's, on the whole, they've been probably the most consistent team in the East. That's why they got the one seed. But where that production and where the firepower are coming from, is it's it's just hard for us to come around on a team where we don't always know. If Jimmy's going to turn back into 2020 bubble run Jimmy, where he was the guy every night and was kind of 
turning into that ISO type superstar that we're used to, then this changes the ceiling for the team quite a bit. Um, and I think that's, that's like what people are still trying to figure out. Um, what version of him are we getting? Um, and so, you know, it's early returns are good. Again, Atlanta is not in their class as a team. So it's really going to be about the next series with Philadelphia, who's a legitimate title contender. If they're looking the same way, then suddenly you're like, okay, this team can make a real run and probably and possibly win the title. That could be the best second round series. Yeah. Boston, no Milwaukee, talks about I guess if Chris Middleton, I don't know. I mean, Boston, Milwaukee probably still, but it, like that could also, because of Chris Middleton, be more lopsided maybe than we think. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. There's not much else to say about the series. Atlanta's outclassed. We'll see what they do next year. Yeah, it's all Miami. about next year for Atlanta. It's all about next round for Miami. I think that's yeah. how I'd – like, look, Atlanta might win tomorrow night. I'm not saying we shouldn't – like, I actually think that they're going to put up a pretty big shot. Um, but I think, you know, whether or not they win tomorrow night, I would have, I would have a hard time believing that they're going to actually come back and make this a real series. Yeah. But, I agree. All right. That's all eight series. That is a wrap. We got through an hour and 20 just uh, – uh, you know, close enough to, to, to what we were aiming for. Good enough. But that's a wrap for us this week. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms and follow us on social media. Um, like you said, your number one series, it's kind of maybe it was my number one because like, I'm just waiting for Nets Celtics Saturday uh, to see if yeah. it becomes something to care about or, if, you know, uh, yet another year of Durant's career where we're like left wondering why. They are really making us wait. Like, I still can't believe we're getting game three on <laughs> Saturday. Yeah. Like, I feel like some of these series might be done by that. It's all the most primetime slots possible. Yeah, I mean, some teams are going to play game four before they play game three. Yeah. That's so. All right. That's it for us. We will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.